0: For a moment, a life in the Arctic Circle. The solar cycle alternates between internal night and endless day. Temperatures so cold that photosynthesis, the foundation that supports almost all life on Earth, cannot occur in the winter. This ice world is inhabited by a variety of weird and wonderful animals exquisitely adapted to their environment, ranging from the polar bear and the killer whale to polar cod. And the massive walrus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets of the Animal Kingdom, Unearthed. Today, we will be looking at Odobenus rosmaris, commonly known as the walrus. It is a large pinniped or seal. Males are about 880 to 1557 kilograms in weight and 3.6 meters long, while females are slightly smaller. While it is a member of the clade Pinnipeta, which also includes all other seals, it is genetically distant from all other living members of this clade because it is the only surviving member of the family Odobenidae and genus Odobenus. The species is further subdivided into two subspecies: the Atlantic walrus OR and the Pacific walrus, OR Divergenus with the pacific walrus being the larger of the two. They are huge mammals with a brownish hide that turns more pinkish as they get older, with the males having more bumpy skin. They have little fur except for their whiskers, relying only on blubber for insulation from the Arctic weather. Walruses are found in a discontinuous range across the Arctic Circle. The pacific walrus, which has a larger population, is found mostly near the Bering Sea, while the smaller population of Atlantic walrus is found in Greenland, northern Canada, and northern Siberia. The most distinctive feature of the walrus is its massive tusks, which are actually overgrown canine teeth. It is present in both males and females, but it is a bit thicker and longer in males, in which they can be over a meter long and 5 kilograms in weight the tusks were initially thought to be used in feeding by digging up mollusks and clams from the ocean floor. However, this is probably not true for two reasons. Firstly, walruses with no or damaged tusks have been seen living perfectly fine, which indicates that they are at least not completely dependent on them for feeding. And secondly, the pattern of abrasion on the tusks indicates that they were being moved forward along the ocean floor. We will get back to this point about feeding later, but the tusks are primarily used for social behavior. Males use them in threat displays to other males. Males with larger tusks are usually more dominant than ones with smaller tusks. Actual fighting between individuals for dominance is limited. The males that are heavier and have larger tusks simply dominate the others with threat displays. This makes the walrus' tusks not too dissimilar in function and evolution to, say, the antlers of a deer. Another important function of the tusks is to help haul the weight of a walrus onto land or ice from the water. This is what leads to abrasion and sometimes breakage of the tusks. The walrus also uses its tusks to fight or to break through ice. Another distinctive facial feature of the walrus is its whiskers, which are sensory organs used to feel for prey in deep and murky waters as they forage along the ocean floor. They seem to be pretty good at this task, being able to identify, quote, three millimeter thick sets of shapes down to a surface area of 0.4 cm square according to one study. Walruses feed primarily on mollusks like clams, but they are opportunistic generalists that will feed on a variety of small marine organisms like worms, snails, soft-shell crabs, amphipods, shrimp, sea cucumbers, tunicates, and even slow-moving fishes, if possible. Most of their prey, as you can tell, is benthic, That is, they are found on the ocean floor. They embark on feeding trips that can last anywhere from a few days to a few weeks. A lot of their prey animals are buried under the ocean floor, so the walrus must plow through the sediments of the ocean floor to get its lunch. This behavior means that furrows, 40 meters long and 47 centimeters wide, are common in walrus territory. They seem to feed in one of three distinctive ways. They may use their whiskers to feel through the top layer of sediments for prey while rooting through the ocean floor with their snouts like a pig, leaving the flippers to rest on the ocean floor. Second, they may use their flippers to propel water over the ocean floor, uncovering any prey that lies beneath. Or third, they may squirt water from their mouths to expose prey. They seem to leave the hard shells of their prey, like clams, alone sucking out the soft tissues instead. One interesting fact about their feeding behavior is that most walruses seem to have a preference for using their right flipper over their left one, the reason for which is unclear. Despite their massive size, walruses are still not invulnerable to predation. The Arctic's top land predator, the polar bear, and its top marine hunter, the killer whale, both pose a significant threat to the walrus, although it does not seem to be a major part of the diets of either of these hunters. Adult walruses are rarely targeted due to their size and tusks, but calves are much more vulnerable. Orcas employ highly coordinated pack hunting to bring down walruses at minimal risk to the hunters themselves. They seem to surround and isolate an individual walrus before taking turns attacking and wearing it down before going in for the kill. However, very few orca hunts of walruses have been observed, probably because no one wants to study animals in negative 50 degrees weather. Polar bears seem to prey on walruses more often than orcas, but this perception may be caused by a simple lack of data. Polar bears tend to target younger individuals much more often than adults. Polar bears tend to target younger individuals much more often than adults, probably because adult walruses are a very dangerous target for a polar bear to take down due to their sheer size and deadly tusks. The bears are only able to hunt a walrus of any age on land. At sea, they are entirely outmatched. Thus, walruses are more vulnerable to predation in the winter when the ice reduces opportunities for the walrus to escape into water if necessary. This increased risk of predation may also be caused by the bears simply being more desperate and willing to take the risk of going after such dangerous prey at this time. Polar bears tend to rush out from cover at groups of walruses, perhaps hoping to capitalize on any walrus that gets crushed as a whole group runs for the nearest opening in the ice. In such a scenario, it appears that the females, along with the younger individuals, tend to flee faster and with more urgency than the adult males, who stand their ground for longer but still ultimately retreat into the water as a confrontation with the largest land predator on earth is something even the largest walrus is keen to avoid. Walruses are extremely social animals, forming congregations of up to several thousand individuals both at land and at sea. There's a significant degree of sexual segregation except in the breeding season, with males often being found away from the females and calves. However, during the breeding season, which is in the winter, from January to March, the two sexes intermingle. The males perform vocal and visual courtship behaviors to woo females and intimidate potential rivals, and the walrus is polygynous, that is, one male will mate with several females. The calves are usually born in the spring, and they weigh up to 70 kilograms at birth and are able to swim. However, walrus calves go slower than most other seals, because walrus milk is less nutritious in fats and proteins than the milk of other seals. The major Pacific walrus population found in the Bering Sea between Alaska and Siberia migrates northward into the Arctic in the spring and summer and migrates south towards the Bering Sea itself in the winter. Much of the Arctic ecosystem is threatened by climate change, with the walrus being no exception to this rule. The reduction in sea ice caused by global warming is likely to hurt walrus populations, as this reduction reduces the available space for breeding and pupping aggregations, and limits access to offshore feeding areas. In the Chucky Sea, which is north of the Bering Sea, where most of the Pacific walrus population spends its summers, the summer sea ice cover has drastically decreased in recent years. Previously, most of the walruses spent their summers hauled out on the sea ice. With only relatively few males hauling out onto solid land. Now, with less sea ice, more and more walruses have to haul out onto land, which is less ideal because they are further away from food sources and have an increased risk of mortality due to stampedes and disease. This increased mortality of walruses as they haul out in massive numbers on land was the subject of a scene in the David Attenborough show, Our Planet It was very horrific and generated significant controversy. The reduction in sea ice also leads to further human activities like the digging for oil fields and tourism throughout the walrus's range. This can lead to issues like water pollution and increased risk of oil spills. While commercial hunting of the walrus used to be a major issue in the 19th and 18th centuries, it is now a protected species across its range and only the indigenous people of the region, which rely on the walrus for food and many other purposes, are allowed to hunt them. All of this means that the walrus is classified as vulnerable by the IUCN, with a shakily estimated population size of just over 200,000 individuals. Conservation of the walrus is a question closely tied to the future of the entire Arctic ecosystem. Commercial hunting of the walrus, as I said earlier, is strictly forbidden throughout its range, except by the native peoples of the region. This subsistence-level hunting seems to be fairly sustainable, at least for the near future. However, global climate change is a far greater and more important challenge that we must address to secure the walrus's future. This existential crisis has already started to seriously impact both man and beast alike, and we must move faster to address it. Since the burning of fossil fuels, for various reasons, is what causes a majority of the greenhouse gas emissions, which are what raise the temperature of the earth and therefore reduce sea ice cover, transitioning away from fossil fuels is the single most simple and effective way to protect the walruses' habitat. This would also come with a myriad of other benefits, like more and better jobs, cleaner air leading to less people suffering and dying from respiratory issues, and the reduction of the geopolitical leverage that some oil producing nations have. Another way to reduce greenhouse gas concentrations is to limit deforestation and promote afforestation. These steps are far overdue at this point but it is still not too late to take them. Walruses are a massive, scary, and sometimes goofy symbol of the Arctic ecosystem and the unique species that inhabit it. They play an important role in the cultures of the native peoples of the Arctic, and they are also a frequent presence in literature, especially children's literature. Yet the walrus population is gravely threatened by our changing world. Their survival under the specter of climate change requires the collective action of all world players. Let us pledge to lower greenhouse gas emissions and save the walrus, and with it, the entire arctic ecosystem. So, I really hope you found that video interesting. Do not forget to like and subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. I know you probably hear that a lot, but still, do it! And I'll see you next time.